You know those times in the day when you can't fit in a full podcast? Running out to the store, walking the dog, or washing the dishes? Jam is the new way to listen when you have just enough time for the perfect short audio playlist. Get started at listentojam.com slash podcast and get your daily Jam playlist filled with more voices in less time. With Jam, you can choose from news, parenting tips, wellness advice, and more. Go to listentojam.com slash podcast and satisfy your curiosity with short audio. Discover something new every day. With Eversense, the long-term sensor helps me spend less time dealing with my CGM. I only need two sensor changes a year. If you're on multiple doses of insulin, you might greatly benefit from the Eversense E3 CGM system, the only continuous glucose monitoring system that lasts for up to six months with one sensor. Still doing frequent sensor changes? Break free today with Eversense. For important safety information and to learn more about Eversense, please visit eversensediabetes.com safety. Mental Podcast is a show dedicated to individuals and mental health professionals, providing support, information, and some candid conversation along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle and Seth. We can get an edit. I swear, every time I hear it, I'm like, did he just say my name or is he saying something different? So you don't like it. No, it's not that I don't like it. I'm trying to understand if he's actually saying my name. You've kept this quiet. (laughs) I haven't kept it quiet. This is not a conspiracy. It's just something I noticed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Don't be crazy now. Mm -hmm. Well, it's no problem. But I could have had that. I could. Have I'm just saying. Does it sound like that to you, or am I imagining it? I no. I'm not. I'm not paying. Oh well, great. I mean, I'm just going to be completely <laughs> honest with you. Uh, no, I. I, mean, it's I just suppose the last I should be. Right? It, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's all. I mean, I don't even care. I'll answer to whatever. It doesn't matter. I'll answer to whatever. Yeah, whatever. Just call me whatever. <laughs> I think that you have meaning and value and that your name is important are you ingratiating yourself to me (laughs) you have a motive behind that (laughs) do you remember the last time we went live i don't what are you talking about we did something and i there was gonna be payback i I don't know you were being pissy with me i remember that i'm just waiting for the payback (laughs) oh no i'm gonna keep you waiting Enough banter mm. from Michelle and Seth. <laughs> Welcome to Mental Podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're on Facebook oh, damn, Live. We should probably and, say hi. And this is going to be like put out as a podcast. And so if you are listening to this episode for the first time or watching us for the first time, <laughs> I do just want to mention that on this show, we really do like to jump into very serious topics and really look at things from multiple angles. But, but in order to get to that content, we do this thing called mental minutes. And I, I want to like put, start like putting a preface on that because I'm fearful people are going to listen to our show, (laughs) you know, because of the subject matter that we're advertising. And then be like, what the hell is this? 
we spend 20 minutes talking about, you know. Our lives. The weather and things. Yeah. The weather, that would be, that would be boring. We don't talk about the weather. You talked about the snow. I did talk about the ice and the snow in my car, and I did talk about the tornadoes. You're right. But those are massive things. Those are not like, hey, it's nice and sunny out today. So, but now we're talking about the weather. So, there you are. Well, it's neither one of our mental minutes. One of us hasn't decided to go. Uh, You keep trying to get out of yours. And for those of you listening, you weren't privy to this conversation before the recording started, but he was trying to uh, tell me that what I needed to talk about in my mental minute because he wants out of his. Oh, I know. Yes. I'm one. I am. I am. I'm very willing. Oh, good. Then to you talk go first. My mental minute today. <laughs> so, last year, I had a plan to go on a seventy-mile pilgrimage through Scotland, England, and I mean Europe. Damn, I want to I mean, go. It's, at, yeah. So. Uh, and it's through a church uh, that I know, uh, a pastor that I know personally. And th- the issue is going to be, it's all walking. You know, it's a pilgrimage. So you're walking the entire thing. And if you remember, I went on a date not too long ago where <laughs> I had to right. walk around a, a, a lake and I couldn't <laughs> walk the next day. So I'm a little fearful. Didn't date that person again, that. did you? <laughs> no. In fact, he never called me back. Ever. Probably all the bitching on the walk. <laughs> Oh, shut up. <laughs> Anyhow, it's not until September. Okay. But I want to go. And so I need a passport. And the passport I have was when I was 15 Uh-oh. years old. And by golly, I'm looking at myself and I look super cute. <laughs> I don't know how I was not getting all the girls and guys when I was there young. There you go. But I'm being very like selfish how right is now. That selfish? I'm just being... I don't know. I'm being self gratified. So is this myself. thing like the is this like myself. the Camino? Is this what you're talking about? It's it's like the Camino. Yeah. Because I want to do the Camino. Yeah. Yeah. It's very similar. Same same pastor. It's walking. Um, it's walking in the path of the saints. Ah, That's what cool. I know. It's a Celt. It's a Celtic yeah, uh, pilgrimage. And it they it goes through Edinburgh, which I'm really really excited about. But anyhow, this is in September, and I need to update my passport. I've tried. I have now been to the post office four times, and I still do not have an application for a passport done. So I thought I'd share that story because it truly is, Seth, Why? my life in, in beautiful form. So I went to the post office. Well, no, I went to the DMV first, who told me I could go to any post office mm-hmm. that I wanted to and that they could take care of this. So then I go to a post office and then they tell me that, no, we don't do that. You need to go to this other post office. I'm like, okay. So then I go to a to a to another post office and there's a line. And so I'm waiting in line and I'm, I'm in line for about 20, 30 minutes holding my passport. I mean, they can see I have my passport <laughs> out. Oh, my God. They get to me. And then she says, okay, so 49. I I look behind me in the line. The person behind me is 49. It turns out I was supposed to grab oh, a number. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, damn. I never grabbed the number. 
so I couldn't be helped. What that person should have said is, you should go ahead. Yeah, she said it's really up to all the people in line behind you because they've all been waiting as well. And I'm Not like, as long as you. You know what, ma'am? I have been standing here looking at you for 25 minutes. And she's like, well, what do you need? And I said, well, I need to get a passport. She says, well, we don't do that here. You need <laughs> oh to complete. God. There's a thing over here and you need to complete an application. And oh, then you need to call this God. number and schedule an appointment. So I spent 30 minutes and in the end didn't accomplish anything. It gets better. <laughs> So then today I scheduled an appointment at the post office to do all this stuff. And I'm 30 minutes late because I got called in on a work call and I get there and I hand her everything. And she said, okay. And then I need your, I need your birth certificate. And I said, well, it's right here. And she says, sir, that's not your birth certificate. Uh That's the title to your call. So did we not read the things that we took in before we got there? You know what? It was in it was in the the special <laughs> lockbox that is always there, always available. It's never locked, but it's in a lockbox <laughs> and that makes it more secure theoretically. And so I just assumed that that was my birth certificate. I have yet to find oh it. Oh my gosh. So you should see my room right now. I, I have, did. You sent me I mean, a I picture earlier. I saw it. Every, I, all the files, all the like everything I had, the uh, piles of paper. I mean, I'm just. It's all now currently on my desk. Lizzie is far away, just looking at it out of curiosity. <laughs> so that's my mental minute well, for damn. today. I think it. I think it, it counts. counts. <laughs> it's humorous anyway, even though I'm sure it's frustrating for you. The lady at the, I also forgot to mention, on the way to the post office for the fourth time, I actually was halfway there, realized I didn't have my birth certificate, came back, grabbed what the I thought title. was my birth certificate, <laughs> Yeah, got back in my car and drove. It's why I was 30 I minutes see. late. Because I, yeah. So <laughs> she was nice enough to say that if I can find my birth certificate, I can come in at nine o'clock tomorrow, even though I don't have an oh, appointment. Oh, that is nice of her. And yeah, well, it is nice, except I haven't been able to find my birth certificate. I've only been able to find a copy oh. of it, which doesn't yeah. count. Even though you already have, and I confirmed that. Even on, though you already have a passport, they can't. Apparently, and I confirmed it on Facebook. Everyone was like, "Seth, you're an idiot." <laughs> yeah, it has to be a real one. The stamp has <laughs> well, to be on it, dude. I mean, they take this stuff seriously. If you can't find it tonight, then you need to order it from the state as soon as possible. Then. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. I think I need to cancel the Scotland trip. You're going to cancel the, the whole damn trip? I think I'm going no, to have to. No, you can get your birth certificate from the state pretty quickly. Okay. All right. Well, don't enough about up. me. Go. Go. <laughs> Go. <laughs> how I, it's how I feel. Uh, well, you already know. I kind of was telling you earlier, I'm dealing with the IRS today. And, you know, they're a pleasant bunch. Uh, if you can get them on nice the freaking phone. But that's my that's my nice frustration folks. right now is I was finishing up taxes today and so I've got a, a jillion numbers in my head and then I had a question because apparently they don't have my 2019 return, which I have it, but it won't let me e-file it again. <laughs> it it's, kicks it back. So I'm going to have to send it in now. But I was thinking, well, if I call them, then maybe, you know, I can work through it. Except when you call the IRS now, you get a little recording that says, we have, our call volume is incredibly high. We're not taking any more phone calls right now. Please visit our website at da-da-da-da-da. And they hang up. So then you go to the website 
and you try to log into your account and then they tell you that your identifying information is doesn't match what they have. How many times have you called oh, them? Oh, numerous. Numerous. Okay, I'm just, I'm just saying making sure that you're doing that. Don't take that as if that's no, the I permanent know. message because no, I deal with the IRS I would all wait the time, till so like it's, 7 a.m., 8 yeah, a.m. and be calling. It's just utter madness though. We're not taking any phone calls. Use our website. Oh, by the way, your your information doesn't match our website. It's my identifying information. How can it not match what they have? That's craziness. It drives this drives me up the wall. I I hate dealing with government or state, federal or state organizations. They're a mess on a normal day and since covid they're an absolute mess if you can get anybody there working sounding like the irs thinks that you're an illegal immigrant (laughs) and i don't know if you've been paying attention to the news lately but you might need to be careful (laughs) yeah i'm not an illegal immigrant they've taken enough of my money in taxes that uh, they know i'm a u.s citizen but anyway that's work shit i i don't know how many people are listening that remember last year (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the amount of time I talked about bodybuilding, but yes, we're about to hit an, a we're lot. about to hit a new <laughs> competition frame of mind. So, yeah, How I start you? prep on Monday, so it's fifteen week prep, uh, culminating in three shows. So I'm a little I'm a little mental about that right now, to be honest, because starting prep is you have to get a whole new mindset. Right. So I am I am encouraged. Uh, I found a place the other day to do body fat composition. I was terrified. I'm like, oh my god, what's it gonna be? <laughs> It's going to be so high. I know it is. But it was only seven. It was only 17%. So I was incredibly happy. A 17% body yeah. fat? I think that's pretty it's good. It's incredibly good. So when I started prep last time, I weighed 158 pounds and it was 29% body fat. That's a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. This time I weigh 154 pounds and I'm 17% body fat. So I have put on a lot wow. of muscle. And, and got rid of, of a lot of fat. So I'm pretty happy with where I'm starting. It's a 15-week prep. I'm anticipating losing roughly 20 pounds. So I'm I'm expecting to come in pretty good this time. So well, I okay, time out. <laughs> you're hoping you're thinking that you're gonna lose 20 pounds. Oh, I will, yeah. And you weigh 155? I feel like 135 pounds is not healthy. Well, when you prep down for a competition, you're not you're not doing it to be healthy. And you don't stay there long. That's the whole point. It's a very short-term thing. You are literally... I never took I never took that into account the last mm-hmm. time you did this, that that's literally kind of what you're doing. But like... Yeah, last time I went from 100, 158 pounds, and I, I when I stepped on stage, it was 132. Holy yes. cow. So it... It's it's a it's a lot of work and that's why you do such you know, a longer time frame. I'm doing fifteen weeks. My coach decided that I didn't. The goal is about a pound and a half a week. And you do that, of course, through cardio. But we're continuing to build. So I I'm I'm just trusting her with the process because at this point I'm just doing what she tells me to do. She she's got a plan. But like I said, it'll culminate in three three different shows. Hopefully a national qualification. That would be nice. I would like that feel a lot more confident uh, yeah. about it this time than I did last time so but let's just remember if it doesn't happen it's not yeah, the end of I the know, world but uh, that's my goal and I I, I think it's right. important to have goals and it's, absolutely yeah. and I think that you can yeah. get it so like I said I'm in a much For better sure. starting position this time I'm in a much better frame okay. of mind because I'm not afraid of the stage this time so I'm feeling a lot better about the whole process other than getting started on prep because I got to get some sugar out of my diet again them damn gummy bears but you do love I love those gummy bears. bears. And 
I have I have picked up a pretty bad gluten-free Oreo habit. <laughs> Is it bad that I totally bought a thing of Oreos oh God, last week? So good. And they're in the and yeah. But the gluten-free and, and here's my mini and I'll be done after this mini rant on gluten-free food. Almost always there's less of the food in the package than the normal and it always costs way mm-hmm. more. It drives me crazy. Literally drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. So if I want Kraft macaroni and cheese, normally it's 89 cents a box. If I get the gluten-free kind, it's 2.49 a box. How is that right? Well, I, I'm not I'm not supply and demand. Bullshit. I'm not I'm not over here <laughs> thinking I think today I'm just going to eat gluten-free. I literally have a health issue with it. <laughs> So let's extort yeah. me for having health issues. Well, they do the same thing with oh, organic I know, it's food. But yeah, but nobody has to have organic or they die or they're, you know, ill. I'm in a fetal position on the floor if I get gluten. So, I mean. Right. No. They're taking right. advantage. It's I'm wrong. Not... Yeah. Anyway, that's my mini I rant. I think it's just supply. I think it's supply and demand, though. Actually, I, I think, think it's separate facility costs to. because to be truly certified gluten-free, you have to process your stuff in a separate facility so there's no cross-contamination. So that's how they get away with it, but it still sucks. So anyway, so I've got to break those nasty little habits this weekend. So <laughs> what? Spit it out. Well, there's there's one more thing I want to mention. I want to point the spotlight back on okay. me for go a ahead. second. And then we are going to go ahead and we're going to jump into today's subject we matter, should. which is very yes. serious because we've been we've been talking I for know. a while. But I think that that's important for us to do. I quit drinking. <gasps> you did? Oh my yeah. gosh, good for you. There's no alcohol in the house. Wow. That'll be different there's for you. There's a lot of empty. There's a lot of empty <laughs> bottles in the recycling. That, like, you know, I use I no, I use this decoration. Oh, They're in the as kitchen. A, as a nice reminder? The, <laughs> no, I need something that's up above the cabinets. Oh, okay. And I, I okay. saw my brother do it when he was in a fraternity in college and I thought it was so cool. I've uh, always uh. done it. But I'll get, I'll so, probably so get rid of those why, two. Why did but we yeah. quit drinking? What was the impetus for that? Dude, I've been relying on it way. I just called you, dude. Oh, whatever. Uh, I've been relying on it way too oh, well, much. Good introspection there. Nice for yeah. you. Good for you. We're covering yes. what we were going to cover last week in regards to our lived experience right. story. So with no further ado, we're going to jump on into tonight's subject matter which is the why behind child abuse. Last week, Michelle and I uh, provided an overview, and I it was a pretty comprehensive yes, overview. But what? how would you summarize last well, week? Well, we talked about what constitutes a family, and we, we delved yeah. into that pretty deeply because it's not the same as it used to be. It's not the nuclear, you know, the so-called nuclear family anymore. So we, we talked a lot about defining the family, what makes up a family, and then we went into some of the the ways that family can become fractured and child abuse can be interest, in, uh, introduced into the subject matter. And so, of course, I think we talked about neglect for quite a bit, yes. which often gets neglected in this conversation because it's not overt physical abuse or anything like that. So it kind of gets pushed to the wayside. Right. In fact, that's why when I was developing those notes... It's why us as a podcast put neglect right. first in the conversation because I don't want that washed well, out. Yeah. And like I said, it's easy because to do it, that. Yeah. And it happens so right. often. 
And then we did touch on uh, physical abuse. I don't know that we went real in depth on physical abuse. And and we'll probably we'll probably mention it tonight as well based on the lived experience stuff that we have, but but that that's the obvious one. When we talk about child abuse, that's the obvious go-to is the physical abuse. So Right. It's what everyone right. thinks of. So tonight we're actually going to be talking uh about sexual abuse and like I said maybe some physical abuse, but then emotional and psychological abuse as well. Mm-hmm. And since we are covering such sensitive information, uh, information that is hard to hear. And based upon your own lived experience, I want to encourage you to take care of you. And so, um, as I've mentioned in other episodes during the trauma trials series, take care of you. And if this becomes too intense or too real, please feel free to turn this off. And most importantly, if you are finding yourself in a situation, please reach out for help. Let's jump in. Yeah, and this one's going to be tough. I mean, on, I'll be I'll be very honest. This one's going to be very difficult for me. It, it's a very intense subject matter. And like Seth said, yeah, take care of yourself. So I, I will just, I kind of mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again. One of my tells is nervous laughter. So that will happen. I'm also having a hard time catching a deep breath already. So you'll catch me. I haven't even, we haven't even I started done looking anything at the yet. Set. That's all it takes. And so I, I started really? feeling the tightness in my chest. So... If I'm taking a deep breath <laughs> and or I'm laughing at an inappropriate time, that's my tell. Uh, um, my my anxiety levels are up, so it's okay. We're gonna start off with the, some lived experience, and this individual that we're gonna be hearing from today is a good friend of mine. Um, his name is Samson Latchison, and he lives in Springfield, Missouri, and he's gonna share his story. And Samson. Samson took a very difficult, tough, unbelievably unfair and unjust situation and turned it to help other people. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a story of resiliency and hope. And so in this first clip, Samson's going to just provide us a very brief overview of what it was like for him growing up, specifically talking about um, growing up in the church and even some things around sexuality. I was raised in a very uh, Pentecostal home, a very Christian, very legalistic atmosphere. I can recall of, yeah, some of my first memories being in church. And at the same time, my first memory is of my mom walking in in a room in a situation where there was something I was doing, which seemed to her to be so inappropriate that she told me I committed the unforgivable sin of homosexuality and that I would be damned to hell for the rest of my life. At what age? Yeah, how old? That was probably four. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it was about four. That still shocks me and infuriates me. I, I, for the life of me, and, and Samson didn't really go into detail about that, but I, for the life of me, I can't figure out what a four-year-old would be doing that would determine his eternal fate and d- determine that he was homosexual. I just, for the life of me. Yeah, yeah I, I don't, 
I can't really figure it out unless he did something with another person, but it Even doesn't still, really matter. Four he's years four, old. He's a child. He's four years old. It doesn't matter no. what he did. Jumping to that conclusion and then using that. I, I mean, it's, and we're going to hear more about his family relationships, but that was used mm-hmm. against yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, it was a way of instilling fear. Well, yeah, you're going to hell. You had a lot of religious trauma happening there in addition to, you know, some emotional and psychological trauma going on. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that was that was how we started that interview. And I was already like, oh, my God, (laughs) are you kidding me? Uh, He was a lovely man. And. You just smiled when you, I just, every time I looked at him, I smiled because he just has that, that air about him, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he got very in-depth into the conversation of how that affected him growing up and, and how it affected, how his mother often brought that up or brought that out and, mm-hmm. and some other things and I'm sure you have the more clips that we'll talk about, but I, again, I'm still so shocked by that, that <laughs> it's just a little much for me. And again, we just said this. There's nothing that a four-year-old can be doing. Let's be honest. Even if there was something sexual going on with him and another child, that is still natural curiosity at that age. There's no intent. There's no sexual intent at that age. Correct. Correct. So it's... Sexual experimentation among children is actually expected. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it just broke my heart, though. It, It really hurt my heart for him. And he said that's one of his first memories. So, yeah, of the church. Uh, yeah, and of the church. So, <laughs> so let's let's and let's break let's break that down. So, looking at that from a religious standpoint, it, it not only was telling him there's something wrong with you, but you're going to hell. But then it's like using this. It's using God as a weapon in such a way that would make it. Yes, it's weaponizing yeah. God. Which I know we, you know, we're, we already talked about the next series we're going to do is on religious trauma. So I'm sure we'll talk more about that then, but let's, let's continue on with Samson's story because he does get into some more of what we're talking about tonight as far as sexual abuse. So. And we're not quite there. All right. I want to provide just a little bit more of a context because he, we talked about this at age four. He was essentially damned to hell by his mother at age four. But there were some other things going on as well that set some expectations, which then kind of propelled him into the church, which is where the abuse occurred. So, and I was also a miracle child. Miracle as in like my mom had a cyst in her womb with me, which was rather large, which had nearly pushed me out of the bed, you can say. Uh, and so they had uh, advised her to abort me and said in response to that, uh, you will not take what God gave me. And so he committed to prayer and we switched spots, which, yeah, I'd call that a miracle in time for the cyst to be removed. She was sewed back up and I was born through, I guess you'd say, kind of an open wound about a few days later. And so I was the miracle child. And so all things that I did, all things that, that I uh, accomplished were viewed in the light of that miracle. There was great expectations of me. And so unfortunately I came out quite the nerdy kid. So there was always that. 
that to overcome. It's almost as if he was forced into the church and like going to God and expecting something to happen. It, it, you know, you're going to hell because of this. However, you are chosen. You aren't really supposed to be here. It's a miracle so that you you're here. So you owe it to God to, to give back. Now you owe it to God. So there's all of this, like that is a very manipulative play that leads into what we're going to talk about next. In light of my mom's uh, declaration that I committed the unforgivable sin, I immediately set out to make God like me. And so one of my first memories after that was me standing in a church pew and begging for Jesus to save me at probably the age of five, and tears running down my face. And I would say that I, I was very emotional and felt something very deep in that moment uh, of, of, of reaching something beyond myself as I began to, to call on the name of Jesus. Well, the next memory I have is of being baptized. I was, uh, I was molested by the deacon who was dressing me for baptism as he held a switchblade to my neck. And so, yeah, by that time I was about five years old. And so that immediately created in my mind this love-hate toward God. Uh, I believed in God, but at the same time I felt there was something yet against me. Yeah, I know that feeling. It's a horrible, you know I know that, that feeling. feeling, yeah. That you're just trying to prove to God you're good enough, that you'll be good enough. You'll be good enough. But you feel like damaged goods. And mm-hmm. somewhere in the back of your mind, you you do believe you're dirty and that you're not lovable, that God can't accept you. And I think if I remember right, in, in that discussion with Samson, I even shared with him that at some point I felt like God would only accept me because he had no choice, because I had some contract, because I had said the right words about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so God really had no mm-hmm. choice, but he wasn't happy about it. And, mm-hmm. and, and he kind of laughed if I remember right and said, yeah, that's exactly right. He, how he felt as well. And, and I think that that sets up the conversation that that's what sexual abuse does to you on a psychological level. It, it yeah. destroys your self image. It destroys your self confidence. It creates within you a need to hide yourself. And, and so I think maybe it's a good idea here that we kind of maybe go into some of the defin- definitions of sexual abuse. Let's talk a little bit about the... Yeah. The the whys and the wherefores of the subject matter. Let's talk about the different types of, of of sexual assault essentially. Sexual abuse refers to the use of a child for the sexual gratification of an adult. I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. It can not only be the actual genital manipulation, right? right? Molestation. Mm-hmm and the request to touch an adult, but it can also include compelling the child to observe sexual acts or have pictures taken for pornographic reasons. And it's, it's kind of ironic that that is ha- that happens younger and younger, it seems. And, and maybe that's just me feeling that anecdotally. I don't know, but I think, you know, typically when you think about sexual assault or whatever, you would think, Oh, older children, but that's not true. Not only mm-hmm. true. That's not the only part that's true. Very young children are actually victims of sexual assault as well. Frequently. Yes. Yeah. 
And there's a whole movement within pedophilia that gets really yeah. Weird. Uh, yeah I can't like even they, go there. So they, yeah, <laughs> I can't. I uh, this is kind of shocking, and I apologize. <laughs> I worked uh, after high school. I worked in a a home for a while for children that were. I don't know what the right term is. They they had different things. I'm I'm using air quotes wrong with them. Some of them were missing limbs. Some of them, you know, had feeding tubes, whatever. But they had, there was several children. One of them was a baby, a baby who had been sexually assaulted by her father. And she, she was never going to be there again, but she was alive, you know, and, and it broke my heart. I couldn't work there. I, I think I'd lasted like eight months. <laughs> I could, it was too, it was too damn difficult, but so again, we're not talking about just older children. We're talking about every age that you can imagine is at some point affected by sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, difficult subject. <laughs> Very difficult. It is. And in fact, even as I was reading the definition yeah. <laughs> before, if you notice I yeah. fumbled over my words. Because well, what's like, the right way to say it? I mean, <laughs> I don't know how you. It's Yeah. I don't know how you say no, that exactly. exactly. You don't. Uh, I don't know what I don't know the statistics around which types of abuse are are the more common when we're looking in the sexual realm. However, I would say a pretty commonly known and and heard about form of sexual abuse with children um, is incest. Yeah. I actually think that that is probably the higher preponderance of the of it happening, because just simply logistically speaking. Right. And that's what right. I would think. But then that's why I was like, I don't know the stats. Right. Because, but I feel like that is the right. most common. But I don't, I would need to yeah. do some research. Yeah. Yeah. So again, f- just f- for definition purposes, incest, of course, is sexual abuse by a blood relative, mm-hmm. you know, part of the child's actual nuclear family, if you will. It can also be an individual assuming the role of a surrogate parent, like a stepfather, live in boyfriend or girlfriend. And it's, it can even be older siblings. It really is just anybody that's closely within that child's family structure and has access to that child. Again, it can also reach out into, you know, more extended family like uncles, aunts, grandfathers, cousins, whatever. And uh, ironically, and this is purely anecdotal as well, I don't have statistics on this, but a lot of people that you talk to, if you mention this subject, almost every person I've ever had this conversation with can identify somebody in their family that, yeah, we just all know not to go near so-and-so at Thanksgiving or whatever. So it's it's something that's out there that people may be aware of, but they can't, either they don't, they don't want to believe it or they can't prove it, but they know that they just don't feel right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's one of the things, you know, I, I, I've seen, I've heard this more and more lately, but when I was a kid, it was when you saw family members, you were told, go hug that family member, go say hello to them. And even as a child, if you didn't want to, you still were made to. Whereas now maybe you have less of that. You, now you have parents that are going, okay, if my child is is pushing back against wanting to greet that person, maybe I need to listen to that for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. There's a deep breath happening. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the theory that you have here. So feminist theory that fathers... Yeah, so this oh, is... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So the, the title of this episode is The Why Behind right. Child Abuse. Yes. Yes? And so what I included here are some specific um, perspectives on child sexual abuse from a theoretical perspective. 
And so one of them being feminist theory. So let's go ahead with that, Michelle. So feminist theory basically says that fathers are most likely the perpetrator of sexual abuse and that they use power to be dominant over their daughters. Um, So again, this is about power and control. And so that is, feminist theory says predominantly this is the male exerting power Mm -hmm. over females that are considered less than. And that's the whole power and control uh, cycle that we know is prevalent in, in any abuse. kind of abuse but yes definitely here correct yes. uh the family systems theory now actually that was uh, my graduate program specialized in family systems oh, okay. theory uh it it proposes that incestuous family families uh, families that are engaging in incest um, tend to be less organized and they are more isolated from the community and more generally dysfunctional than those in which incest is not a factor Hmm. What about attachment? Incestuous families tend to be less organized, more isolated from the community. Well, that makes sense because you're going to keep to yourself if you're doing stuff like that. You don't want your kids talking about it. You've got to hide. You know, and as children, typically they're going to hide it as well. Mm -hmm. I hid that stuff. I didn't want anybody to know that. You know, and now I think now you have counselors and teachers that may say, is there something going on? I don't have any recollection of that happening when I was a kid. You, nobody paid attention. So, all right. Attachment theory. So attachment theory is insecure attachment that puts family at a greater risk for incest. So fathers that aren't actually involved in like the child rearing uh, process have been more prominent in abusing daughters, basically. So there's not that normal, healthy attachment, parent-child attachment. So it becomes something else that is abusive right you know typically we don't recognize the intellectual side of things we're a lot of times you're talking about abuse you're talking about very anecdotal the very anecdotal Mm -hmm. side there is this intellectual side too there is theory that is being written about this stuff there is studies that are being done about this stuff and i think you Mm -hmm. have to kind of have a, a, a merging of the anecdotal and the intellectual to fully understand the process what happens is if you're too intellectual you become cold to the process of what's happening and there's no compassion. If you're completely anecdotal, you're just experiential. You're not understanding, you know, what the why, basically, like we're talking about. So I think both are very, very important. So Agreed. But so that was intrafamilial abuse. And then there is extra right. familial. Now, the, these are situations that are perpetuated by someone outside of the child's family. Now, interestingly, this represents a small proportion sexual abuse. I think that it is far more prevalent that it happens intra Well, as we said, opportunity is the key there. Exactly. Exactly. And so when we look at extrafamilial abuse, so we're looking at abuse that's coming outside of the home, and we've already mentioned it, but offenders who abuse outside of families are often referred to as pedophiles. Pedophilia literally means the love of children. And now this next term actually brings me back to all of my study on homosexuality. Mm-hmm. But what, uh, what, how would you define this? I can't even say that word. Michelle? It's pedra- pedestry. Okay. Uh, basically sexual relations between an adult male and a male child. And I know exactly what you're talking about because in the Bible where we have admonitions against homosexuality, it is often argued that that is what is being discussed, that it's, it's not just a, a complete admonition, but that it's very specific. 
Mm-hmm. And so this literally is adult male to male child. I don't know. Tell me what you think about it. Yeah, so it actually is fascinating, but this is not part of our episode, really. <laughs> so I might take this out, and no one's watching us yeah, on live anyway, so it's all good. <laughs> but uh, so this, but it's it's fascinating. So back in the day, so like back in when the Bible was written and stuff like this was, you know, back in the day. Okay, the day. <laughs> uh, essentially, what would happen is they would have older men who would take younger men under right. their wing, and essentially they would be their mentor. But in mentoring them and showing them the way of of life and being a man or whatever career that they're wanting to go into, they would also engage in sexual relations. And that, in a lot of the scripture, which there's only six verses that condemn homosexuality in the Bible. There's not like there's not a ton of verses in the Bible that are after the gays, just just six technically. And this term is used which doesn't speak to homosexuality <laughs> at all. It speaks to pedophilia. Right. It speaks to abuse and control. And most of the verses in the Bible that speak against homosexuality are speaking about that. But I will die. I will but I digress. Yeah, I digress. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, that it's a good distinction because a lot of people are not educated in that, in, you know, that kind of information. So they don't know that. And ironically, right. because of that often at, as I'm sure you know homosexuality is often linked with pedophilia inappropriately because yeah, of that. All the time. So, and it all mm-hmm. comes back to this sexual abuse, this power and control dynamic. So, the other thing we're going to talk about a little bit is child pornography, which yeah. is a, a huge problem, obviously. Basically, using children to produce sexually explicit material, such as graphics, photographs, films, videos, slides, and books. Of course, with the internet, you know, there's there's a great preponderance of this. Yeah, it's yeah, all and over. it's one of the, it's one of the things you have to be very careful about, and because I, I I don't know there wasn't social media when my kids were little, but I see so many people now post pictures of their kids and everything, and and it always makes me feel a little nervous for them, like because you don't know who is has access to that information, and so it can be right. problematic. Of course, we heard a lot about child pornography in the last few years. I, that's all political, though, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> But basically, this idea that there is a, a large rampant problem with child pornography, and I do think there is a large problem with it. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that, as you mentioned, the internet has Absolutely. changed the game. Yeah. I mean, the, you can access anything, and they can sell it anywhere. And and the, what gets interesting about the internet is even if they have a website that gets flagged, they just create another yeah, one. Yeah, and it's, so like, it's like, very like this, quickly. It's just like this yes. constant game. You know, it's cat and mouse and so it's you know i think we have entire police departments dedicated to (laughs) to that they do need to work on that uh yeah they also need to like stop well okay that's a whole different subject matter (laughs) well i mean i don't know if you turn on the news but okay let's jump here i want to cover some statistics about sexual abuse and then i actually want to continue on to samson's story because in listening to Samson's story, it's actually going to provide us an example of okay. what we're talking about. <laughs> but we're going to talk about the characteristics of sexual abusers. Interestingly, 95 to 98% are male. That doesn't speak great for it my really gender. It doesn't. It really doesn't. But it's just the facts are the facts. So I don't know. 
95 to 98%? See, now, again, that's not to say there aren't women abusers. There are. It's just a very small preponderance in comparison. Correct. So. Right. Interestingly enough, though, your next stat makes perfect sense. 50 to 70% of offenders were themselves victimized as children, either sexually or physically, and had pretty significant psychological stressors. Um, So, again, we go back to that whole cycle of abuse that we've talked about previously. Generational. It it happens over and over. because So, again, uh, again, this is me hazarding a guess, um, but listening to, uh, to Samson's story... It's not surprising to me that somewhere in there, and I know we haven't got there if if that was one of the clips you pulled or not, but there was some of that abuse within his family. And it wouldn't surprise Mm -hmm. me if that, if, if the, if the person in his family had not been abused themselves somewhere along the way in that fashion, because it does tend to, it does tend to go cyclical like that. So. Yep. Typically any character, a characteristic of an abuser, they can be married, they can be unmarried, they can be employed, they can be unemployed, any educational level. There's no parameter here that fits every single abuser. It just, it, it's all over the place. So mm-hmm. I, you can't even like create, you know, some kind of bio for somebody that might be, you know, this might be their bent, so to speak. So. Right. Well, let's jump into okay. Samson's story again. And we're going to talk about specific stressors and you know when we talk about the why i think stressors play a pretty big role and there are some things that happened in samson's family that really amped up those pressures and those stressors which increases the likelihood of that abuse to occur as you mentioned last week or maybe the week before oftentimes it's frustration well for physical abuse for sure I don't. I don't know that you would mm-hmm. have that same kind of stressor for sexual abuse. I guess you could. It's, it, but to me, it makes sense that it'd be more physical abuse. Well, I'm just trying to think of frustrated with your circumstances that then eventually leads you to make decisions Maybe. that yeah. you later Maybe. regret. So let's let's go ahead and check in on this. And so at that same time in my life, that was near around the time of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Uh, and so about that time, 1968, 1969. All hell broke loose in the neighborhood. There was a lot of burnings and protests, Martin King Jr.'s assassination. My dad lost his job at um, a national lead company in Granite City, Illinois. He was lead poisoned, and so he lost his job. And in that situation, my mom only had a fourth grade education. Civil Rights Act had barely been passed. She was not employable, viewed as employable. So we plummeted into this abject state of poverty. So pressure on pressure on pressure. And by the way, I need to go back and talk a little bit about my mom. My mom was raised in Brent, Alabama. She picked cotton until she was 19. My grandpa was a sharecropper in Brent, Alabama. My grandmother, Mary Wilson, she was left on a doorstep as a baby. She never learned to read or write. In fact, my grandpa, Boss Wilson, gave her a birthday on Mother's Day. He would celebrate her birthday on Mother's Day. And so my mom came from a mere slave mentality, to be very honest with you. So to be thrown into this traumatic situation where her husband doesn't have a job, she is raising seven children. My mom 
became more and more aggressive in her speech toward us. I was very awkward as a kid. I can remember her calling me retarded on many occasions, stupid. I had this problem exhibiting some autistic traits. I would say, uh, where I would rock back and forth in nervousness and sometimes chew my tongue. I was not very social. And so in those situations, she would take on a spiritual take to it and say that I was I was allowing the devil to treat, cheat me out of my calling, which she viewed as I was to be this preacher. And so to compensate for that, I began doing speeches at a very early age. They would set me up in chairs in Sunday school and I would recite the Lord's Prayer for the entire Sunday school. And so those kinds of things became my goals. At the same time, I had same-sex attraction. I, I knew I was gay very, very, very early in my life. Well, that leads us directly into our next yeah. form. Yeah, basically what she was doing was emotional and psychological abuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, and again, this, this does merit mentioning to your point it it was born out of her frustration for her life circumstances, the financial circumstances of the family. However, that doesn't excuse it. It was still abusive to the children yeah. and to him specifically in this conversation. So, And can we just say to be accused of being gay at age yeah. four and being condemned to hell and then going into church and trying to dedicate your life to God and then in doing so being sexually abused and then later on realizing that you are in fact mm-hmm. gay like the the amount of psychological hoops yeah. you kind of have to jump to get to a point of being okay like i my heart goes out to samson so yeah. much and and I, I i think that his his mother while that was a very traumatic experience i mean she's painting quite the picture uh of emotional and psychological abuse yeah i agree um and again this does not in any way ascribe intent to what she was doing correct and i think we have to be really careful with that because i don't think most of the time emotional and psychological abuse now i'm not going to say all the time but most of the time this is again born out of frustration fear anger hurt and not necessarily having intent behind it to hurt somebody else it's just the natural outcome of this kind of behavior Mm -hmm. And, and again, that's one of the things that's it's the most difficult to even define or to isolate the characteristics of because of that. Taking away intent actually makes it much more difficult to decide if it's actually abusive or not. You know, so right. but I do think we have to go back to what we talked about as far as the definition of child abuse. We talked about regardless of intent, does it does it do damage? And that's mm-hmm. what dis, that's what defines it as abusive more so than intent. So, in fact, when we talk about emotional and psychological abuse, it underlies every form of sexual abuse and neglect right. out there. If abuse and neglect is occurring, you are most likely going to find some form of emotional or psychological Absolutely. abuse that's going along right. with it. Yeah. Again, your notes, I this is a very true statement. The consensus today is that emotional and psychological maltreatment is not an isolated event, but rather a pattern of psych, uh, physically destructive behavior that can include rejecting, right? So like an adult mm-hmm. refusing to acknowledge a child's worth or telling them they're worthless, mm-hmm. 
that they're no good, that they're, they're in his words, they're retarded. They're, you know, right. he was basically, he was abused in that moment when she said that. Yeah. It also, yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. it was, there's no doubt about it. But again, coming from the background, and again, this is where it gets very difficult because you can find compassion in here as well, because you could look back at her, at her history, as he mentioned, he had to share some of her history. She had a slave mentality, he said. She came from a background in which she was not valued. Or she didn't believe that she had a lot of self-worth. So it, it wasn't a far leap for her to make those same kind of comments. Right. And we just talked about yes. generational. Right. I mean, clearly, she was right. abused, most certainly. Yes, absolutely. Here we are. So, but again, destructive behavior can also include isolating, where an mm-hmm. adult isolates the child from a normal social experience. Again, there can be an argument made there for the fact that they mm-hmm. had to be so indoctrinated into religion and saying. Right. And he didn't go into this. But I would say, I mean, isolating, perhaps the whole thing with the church was a way of keeping him straight. I oh, guarantee for sure. he yes. was not allowed to yeah. hang out with certain individuals that he would have liked to hang out with, most likely, had he had the opportunity. Right. But because of his upbringing and mother's rules, right. was not able to. He didn't go too much into that, but I don't think it's too it, far of a stretch I don't think it's a stretch, a stretch either. That. And it, what strikes me as truly ironic about that is in trying to keep him separated from what she perceived to be poor people to be for him to be with because of this inclination that she felt he had she actually put him in a situation in which he was abused in that fashion from other people so it's it's ironic you know it's not haha funny ironic you know haha funny it's ironically funny that in trying to protect him she actually put him in a place where he was abused Mm -hmm. so and that that's not that's not just a one-off or a two-off experience. There's been a lot of people that that's been their experience, especially when you start talking through deconstruction with people and you start listening to their stories with hurt within the church, you find sexual abuse comes up a lot. Yes, a lot. I actually had a very good friend who was abused as a boy in church and as an adult, I mean, he's passed away now, but as an adult, it still affected his life greatly. And, And so that kind of stuff does not ever... Without concerted effort, that doesn't get better on its own. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's ironic, but yeah, definitely comes up a lot in the religious discussions. So another way is terrorizing. An adult verbally abuses a child, which I think we right. just heard, creates a climate of fear. You're going to hell. Bullies and frightens the child. And makes a child believe that the world is hostile and unsafe. I think that that verbatim yeah. was yeah. kind You're of going to hell. played out. And <laughs> yeah, Samson's you're going to hell. Story. I think that hit it yeah. on the nail. So again, a lot of times you'll find this this attitude within families, but then it's exacerbated by the church's attitude on top of it about certain behavior mm-hmm. patterns. So it all works in concert. And of course, these are authority figures in a child's life. So um, they're more likely than not going to believe them and believe, well, this person is telling me the truth. So I must be broken. I must be dirty. I must be going to hell because even the pastor at my church says so. So does my mom and dad, Mm -hmm. but the pastor does as well. And he knows God personally. You know, I mean, there's this mindset and that's, it's that simple to a kid. So it, yeah, it's, she, 
I mean, her saying that to him at four years old had to have such a foundational effect. Yeah, I mean, it's, I just keep going back to it because I can't, it, it had to have, com- I mean, it completely Absolutely. shaped his life. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Because it, he turned to church right. at that point, which is where right. he was abused. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a few mm-hmm. other ways that this plays out. Uh, ignoring adult, uh, mm-hmm. the adult blocks the child from having any kind of stimulation. They stifle emotional growth or intellectual development. You know, a lot of times that's done as a preventive way of keeping the child from telling anybody what's going on. If we, if we limit their intellectual right. development or school time or their ability to play with others or be in other people's homes. I don't have the clip, but didn't he share how he wasn't allowed to do certain things and he was allowed to do others? I don't, I don't recall. With sports? I don't recall. I, I, if I recall, he said he, he wasn't somebody that was into sports that much, was he? Because he was kind of clumsy, he said. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, into yeah, he was into the vocalization and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Well, the last one here is corrupting. Um, the adult encourages the child to engage in destructive and antisocial behavior, reinforces the deviance, and makes the child unfit for normal social right. experience. Yeah. Again, it's separating them from anybody that they could reach out to for any kind of help. Or where just even in passing, they might make a comment that would out the situation. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, 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 again, deeply manipulative and controlling on the part of the adult to, to do this to the child. So it's, again, not, not one of the big ones that we think about when we think about abuse. But it's definitely, it's almost sets the stage. Like you said, it's automatically going to be involved in most forms of abuse because it sets the stage for the other abuse to actually happen. Right. Well, and I want to read this Mm -hmm. here. So as in physical abuse, psychologically abused children are often perceived by their parents as more difficult, different, or representing something that stimulates the parent to anger. Thus, the child may trigger his or her own maltreatment, but he or she is not necessarily that cause Rather, it is how this child is perceived by the abuser. And I think that's so vitally yeah. important. I know that's kind of obvious, but <laughs> it's it's about the perspective of the abuser and what's going on in their world. And I think a lot of the causes have absolutely nothing to do with the child and everything to do with well, the for sure. perpetuating yeah. the abuse. I mean, again, you may have situations in, when the, in which the child has some difficulties or some challenges that are bringing up frustrations for the parent, but the parent is still the responsible person. And so they, they do mm-hmm. bear that responsibility for how they conduct themselves with that child because of any of those frustrations. So it, again, this is one in which you can almost find some compassion, like I said, because you can see a stressed out parent could say something, you know, harmful without any intent to be harmful behind it, just out of frustration or anger or sadness or fear or whatever. Um, But that Mm -hmm. could be the one thing that has a lasting effect on their child. Yeah. So, and again, it's hard to, it's hard to bear all that responsibility as a parent. You're already afraid you're going to screw up your kids anyway. Or at least I was. And and so, you know, when you make mistakes like that, it's very easy to fall into this pattern of of 
struggling with yourself, which then causes more frustration. And then once again, you lash out. So it becomes, again, very cyclical in nature. Mm -hmm. Well, and I want to jump back into mm -hmm. Samson's story. We're, we're getting near the end of this episode, but I want to talk a little bit about how this impacted him. And when we look at this abuse, how it impacts the child. I was, I was a very lonely kid. I was very distrustful of people. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that was part of my, my awkward uh, presentation. It, I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. I never did. And I definitely did not trust adults. I respected. Oh, to be honest with you, I treated adults the way I did God. I, I respected them, but I wanted nothing really to do with them. And, and my parents, I mean, I, I would always say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Yes, sir, no, sir. But, but deep within, there was no real connection, even though I would, I would, I would try uh, again because I watched Leave the Beaver. I watched the Brady Bunch. And so I would kiss my mother goodnight, which none of my other siblings did. You know, which was, I didn't know until later, very meaningful to my mother, you know, because mm -hmm. she was not somebody who was very, uh, very intimate with us. And, and she was not one to be someone who, who liked to hug us or touch us, but she didn't waste any time hitting us uh, if we were inappropriate or fell asleep in church or talked in church or anything like that. She didn't waste any time, you know, with spankings and that, that kind of thing. But as far as touching us, and dad was the same way. Dad was very removed from us in that way. Dad hardly ever talked to me because very early I apparently had a feminine traits. And so he really hmm. was embarrassed by that, I would say. Uh, whenever he would try to teach me how to throw a ball, which was very rare, good grief, so rare, because <laughs> he just viewed me as awkward. And so the few times he did, he would always end up saying, boy, you never learn anything. You know, you, you don't know nothing. And so he would just, out of sheer frustration, just stop very quickly and, and attempt to teach me. After hearing that, we're going to listen to one more piece from Samson. And then we'll kind of summarize this episode. I very much hated myself. Mm. Very much. I mean, my mom would catch me looking at myself in the mirror saying, I, I hate you. You are the ugliest, most dumb person I know. And part of that was the reason why I didn't want to be around her because I was sure they would agree. At school, uh, I was the kid who was always bullied. I was the last one picked. If I was picked at all for a team. And yes, I was also called faggot at school. Often, well, in fourth grade, I was, I was, I was beat up by a gang of girls, actually, in fourth grade. So that definitely did not help that situation at all. But, but yeah, it was very hard for me to, even though I was always in front of people and asked to do things publicly because I also began singing at a young age. I, I never felt comfortable. I mean, always before I would get up to speak, I would be terrified. And by the way, I am 58. It doesn't matter if the crowd I'm speaking to is not, has a group of nine 
or 99 or 1,000. I could possibly die of a heart attack just minutes before I'm speaking. There was a lot more. There was a lot more detail that was very difficult. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, and there was a lot more detail, and that episode is actually edited and uh, will be available for Patreons if you want to hear the full story. But, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, a, it was a difficult story to listen to. But at the end, like I said, I think I said then, I couldn't help but sit there wanting to smile at him because he was just such an approachable person. And, and what's ironic to me is, you know, here he had been told he was going to hell at this young age, accused, you know, of of being homosexual before he could even have any understanding of what that meant. Um, but then again, like you mentioned, he was told he had a purpose. God had brought him to the world for a reason. And ironically, and I think I mentioned this in our interview with him, ironically, he does work in ministry. He works in outreach mm -hmm. and he is having yeah. a huge impact on a lot of people. So mm -hmm. he actually is doing what his mother wanted him to do, but he's doing it as an, as a gay man. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so it, it just, you know, that strikes me as, as ironic but and, and humorous, but it also makes me smile because he's just a beautiful person, you know, and, and mm -hmm. you can just tell that from listening to him and looking at him. He's just a beautiful person. So, yeah, he so is. even with all that damage, even with all the abuse, he has managed to be this beautiful, productive person. And, and again, he's got issues like all of us do. He has raw spots like all of us do, you know. So I guess if there's anything to find from the whole subject matter on abuse, child abuse, is that it, it doesn't have to be the end, if you will. You, you can be this productive, beautiful person that brings a lot of value to, to the world in spite of it. In fact, I mean, he's gone on... <laughs> To help so mm -hmm. many people. And uh, abuse does, abuse or trauma does not have to be the end yeah. of the story. And what's ironic about that, and I've said this lots of times, I've even said this in conjunction with myself, is that often if there's a positive to be found in it, it's that you can very easily understand somebody else's pain. You can identify with it and understand and commiserate and empathize with that person, mm -hmm. um, which does allow you to have those deeper connections with people. So there is yeah. a positive that can come out of it. It's just sad that there has to be this kind of, this level of abuse that's happening in anybody's mm -hmm. home. So, and unfortunately there's far too many where it's happening where they don't end up with this relationship or this realization that, that they are valuable. I want to wrap this episode up and really looking at the, the, the types of family dynamics that are ripe for incidences of child abuse. Now, that's not to say that these situations re always result right. in child abuse or that it always results in trauma or, or things of that nature. But these types of situations are what CPS comes across most frequently, and a lot of times it has to do with resources. Right. But given the name of our episode... I think it's important that we actually talk about the name, right. what we're, well, what I, what I'm advertising. So why don't you start with the with well? The first it's name. basically marrying the wrong person. Um, you can become very disillusioned mm -hmm. with the person that you're living with or married to, 
and be consciously looking for substitutes uh, on whom to vent any kind of emotion that you're having, whether it's rage or anger yeah. or disillusionment, whatever it is. And, and a child is an easy target because mm-hmm. more than likely they're not going to argue back or they're not going to fight back. So, right. Yeah. Unwanted pregnancies. Yeah. Or desire for the desiring children for unrealistic reasons may find their frustrations are vented later on onto the children. Let me see. Parents whose own needs have not been met in childhood. Again, the cyclical nature of this. Uh, they may be so involved in finding an outlet for their neediness that the child actually becomes a burden for them. Um, Morrow in 1991 contended that psychological abuse can be a natural byproduct of alcoholism. He goes on to say that children in alcoholic families suffer all forms of abuse, but they feel most keenly the emotional deprivation, the alienation from their parents and their own social isolation. Children in alcoholic and drug-addicted families are, are not only subject to possible emotional abuse by their parents, but also suffer a second-hand emotional abuse in the form of shame and humiliation. Now, again, that's speaking generally, that when you add alcohol, when you add sure. any substance sure. into the mix, when you have a mind-altering substance in play, it's not out of the realm of possibility to see that it's going to have an impact yeah. on on relationships and how you communicate. Right. And specifically looking at children, if it's well known, have you ever seen the show Shameless? Oh, yeah. That's a difficult right? show to like, watch. <laughs> it is a very difficult show to watch. I just found myself pissed he, off the entire time. <laughs> he... Sh- yeah, I it's hard to watch that show, but it really paints the picture because everyone in the town knows that their dad is a drunk. Yeah. Well, and uh, quite honestly, I mean, dad started looking pretty good when mom showed up. In yeah. comparison. So. True. Good point. <laughs> but I'm saying the ki- the kids, everyone in town knows right. it. Right. So the kids there is subsequent Yeah. You know, potential humi- humiliation by their peers Absolutely. or being made fun of yeah. and and shame and things of that nature. Yeah. Well, and again, so this this flows right into that. Any kind of incident of separation, divorce, often brings children into the mix as the innocent victim uh, of yes. basically basically psychological warfare between the parents. And I say this mm-hmm. rolls into that because that show actually had some of that that connection in there as well, uh, in which the parents actually use the children against each other, and and so the uh, the obvious victims of that are the children. Right. So. Now, this next one I don't like, and I don't really want to say it, but it, I mean, it's true. Okay. Um, some parents with mental illness may be more likely to exhibit inappropriate emotional responses to children's emotional expressions. The very fact that parents may be in and out of the house due to having to go to the hospital will also have an impact on the children. Um, having a parent that's present is so incredibly important. And sometimes if, you know, there's a serious mental health disorder, the parent isn't able to be present. And again, intent and isn't there, but it's it's simply a, a matter of it just is. It's instability. Yeah, it's instability. To some extent. Yeah. Uh, this one makes obvious sense. Adolescent parents who are children themselves may find, them, find that the demands of parenthood are too great. I guarantee you they almost always find that the demands of parenthood are too great. <laughs> because if you're a fully grown adult having children, you find that... The requirements of parenthood are often great. So, yeah, being a child yourself, 
And again, this goes back to more of a brain science issue as well, because children, you know, up until a certain age, their brains are not even fully formed yet. Right. So if they're becoming parents at a young age, they're dealing with trying to literally grow into their own brain and be responsible for another human being. That's a lot to put on uh, somebody that young. Mm -hmm. So it does create this sense of frustration. Absolutely. Now, this last one we've already talked about, but we're going to mention it again. Um, Parents who psychologically abuse do so either because they had inappropriate, emotionally abusive models of parenting themselves or because they are waging their own internal emotional battles. Children often become the innocent victims, as already mentioned. But I think the key thing here is the models of parenting that they received, looking at that generational passed down abuse. Right. I think we've I think we've covered this pretty yeah. a lot of detail there. A lot of difficult lived experience to listen to. Mm-hmm. Although, quite honestly, there was some other really more difficult stuff that you didn't include, thank goodness, because it was a lot to listen to the first time. So Yeah. There's a lot in yeah. there. And this episode is going to be available. So if you do want to hear this story, you can support us with that comes other goodies. But um I'm not asking for your money in order to listen to a experience <laughs> story right now. It's not what I'm trying to do, but it is available on our Patreon. Right. Um, if you're listening to this episode and you've made it this far, I want you to know that no matter what's happened in your life or what's happened to you, it can get better. Yeah. And there is help available. We've covered a lot of really serious stuff. And I know a lot of this may be hitting home. We have a community on Facebook for you. um, If that's something that you would find of interest. It's ever becoming more active. It's just taking some time. Um, We also have a Marco Polo group. But really, if you're in this situation, because we have people that listen to our show from all over the world. And... Sometimes online communication and online friendships just isn't the same. And so if you are um, somewhere where you don't benefit from online communication, I really want to encourage you to reach out to your friends or reach out to a mental health provider because I know I want you to know that you are not alone. And um, if you're listening to this episode and you've found this to be helpful, um, please feel free to follow us um, on your favorite podcast application. And if you're really nice, if you could give us a five-star <laughs> review and a comment, that really helps us uh, boost those numbers. It really, <laughs> really, really would. Uh, we need all the help we can yeah. get in that in that area. Um, also, um, we do have a hotline if you have any questions. Oh, and I know the number. Excitement. <laughs> do you really? I know the number. What? What's the number, Michelle? The number is 314-690-5005. Yes, and you can text that or call that with your ideas, your suggestions, your feedback. It does come directly to me. I will respond as as I need to. Anything else I'm We should mention the website as well. Oh, yeah. We have a website. (laughs) It's mental-podcast.com. On there, you can essentially find all things mental, including... 
all of our episodes, the links to all of the different podcast platforms, as well as our own merchandise and resources based upon information that we've talked about during prior episodes. So there's a lot of information on there. So please feel free to go check that out. Until next time. Tired of guessing your glucose levels all the time? How about a better way to manage your diabetes? Introducing the Eversense E3 CGM system, the only six-month continuous glucose monitoring system. With real-time glucose readings every five minutes delivered to your mobile device and exceptional accuracy over six months, Eversense E3 gives you readings you can count on. For important safety information and to learn more about Eversense, visit eversensediabetes.com safety. Accuracy evaluated in adult populations with two calibrations per day or less. Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com.